Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hi, this is David Locke, Executive Director of the Rainforest XPRIZE, a five-year competition to discover, understand, and preserve the health of rainforests around the world. Our rainforests are home to the planet's largest collection of plants, animals, and insects. Countless more species have yet to be documented, but the rainforests are disappearing. Unmatched biodiversity is being destroyed before their scientific value can be cataloged and shared with the world. We need your help in developing novel technologies that can rapidly catalog diverse forms of life in the rainforest and unlock knowledge of these complex ecosystems. Whatever your background or discipline, we all have a role to play in protecting our rainforest. Learn how you can be a part of this challenge and register at rainforest.xprize.org. Thank you for your support. Emily Church here on the Future Positive Podcast. We aim to bring you the most future-forward topics, covering everything from AI to avatars to climate change and more. If you're into data-driven optimism, this is the podcast for you. If you like what you hear, please remember to subscribe, rate, and leave a review on Apple or wherever you get your pods. This helps us grow our podcast and bring you even more amazing guests. If you're new to the show, in each episode, you'll hear from voices ranging from top scientists, engineers, entertainers, government officials, entrepreneurs, and innovators, each of whom agree that the only way to get the future we want is to create it ourselves. In our first conversation from this series, we're going to be listening in as XPRIZE founder Peter Diamandis speaks with actor and conservationist Harrison Ford along with Conservation International Board member, Wes Bush. Rather than just sounding the same climate alarms we keep hearing about, our panelists today talk about how systemic changes from a political and economic level are likely the key to solving our climate crisis in the face of a society that has not yet grasped how serious the situation really is. Obviously, this is critical to us all, so let's jump into it and hear what they have to say. Thank you both, Wes, for flying in from, uh, from D.C. And, and Harrison, I think you flew in from Santa Monica. But oh, I drove. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, we themed this visioneering for the first time around the environment. And this session is where we bring it back to focus. And uh, I'm going to ask you to take the gloves off. 
uh, and, uh, and to really help uh, get the juices going. Because uh, I'm clear that the right goal and the right incentives can unleash brilliance to solve the problems that we've created. Um, so uh, let's start with CI. Uh, very proud uh, to be beginning a relationship with Conservation International. What is CI? What do you do? Why, why do you do it? Uh, uh, well, I would, I would uh, suggest that perhaps uh, <laughs> the chairman of the executive committee rather than the <laughs> vice chairman <laughs> of, uh, of the executive committee uh, wrestle this one to the ground. The complication is that CI does a lot of things and it's strategic and it's fast moving. But let me uh, turn you over <laughs> to Wes, who has a more organized mind for this sort of uh, thing. And if not, I'll correct it. <laughs> I may be the chairman, but uh, our heart and soul, and someone who is one of the real modern conservation heroes is Harrison. He's been with CI for many, many years and has had such an incredible impact on what we do. And sitting here on the stage is sort of an, an interesting reflection of uh, what CI does. It brings everyone together. It has this amazing ability to not only work with folks at the policy level, but to really get down into the details of what it takes to have an impact with conservation. Uh, Peter Seligman, who is a founder, loves to say we have our, our uh, head in the sky and our feet in the mud. And it's the feet in the mud part that actually gets things done. So we work in 29 countries around the globe. Uh, we work with governments, we work with indigenous peoples, uh, we work with corporations, we work with scientists and economists, and the whole focus is impact, getting things done. We love to convene discussions, but what we really love to do is make things happen. And that's why I'm a part of it. I like action, I like seeing things happen. That's what CI is all about doing. He's, uh, he's exactly right. and. Uh, the head in the sky part is, uh, is something that, uh, Peter, you're helping us with, and that is to imagine a new uh, approach to the issues that plague us, that continue to plague us, primary of which is the political logjam of talking about it, agreeing to agree at some point further in time, yeah. when in fact the, the urgency of the problem uh, should be moving us to direct uh, action, to really confront the issues at hand, and to move urgently uh, to address them. Let's talk about sort of environment 101. What are the big issues that are sort of top of your mind where things are not getting done that you wish innovation would hit it hard? Um, well, innovation is a, an area that uh, I think Wes is uh, uh, possibly more capable of than I am. Oh, no. So I'll add in, but uh, I mean, there are many different issues uh, in the complex of problems that we call uh, climate change, global warming. Um, and, and various of them can be addressed technologically. But the most important is the political will. We see uh, to, to get this done, to, to really substantially change our economies, our behaviors, 
our, our political systems, to, to recognize the, the threat to the planet, to all people, rich people, poor people, and to get progress. So, you know, if, if we have to depend on politics to do that. Um, Not politics, political will. Political. I'm talking about the will of the populations of political entities to say enough bullshit. It's time to do things. Make it happen. Now, there, there, there is, and I'm going to come back to you, Wes, and say, I mean, there is a different way, right? The environmental pollution of the, the 1890s was, was horseshit, right? As people moved into the cities, I said it once too. Yeah. Um, yeah uh, <laughs> as people moved from the rural areas into the cities, they brought their motive force, the horse with it, and the horse manure piled up high. And the predictions were disastrous, but then a new technology came along and displaced the horse, the car. Now it has its, you know, derivative issues as well. Yeah. So the question is, if, if political... If poli I'd if rather political walk through it than breathe it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the question is, do we have to depend on political will or can some technology innovations uh, solve the problem, whether the political will I'm is not, not? I'm not suggesting on depending on political will. I'm telling you that there are forces in this world, the young people in this world are showing up all over the world, angry, organized, they know they're right, they know they've been, they have been, they know that they are heirs to a broken planet. Mm -hmm. They require us to either stand up, provide technological support, or get the hell out of the way, because they, they will get it done. Do it. And they'll get it done, and it could be ugly, and it could be sloppy, but, but they will get it done. And they are a strong moral force. They're a moral army out there, and they will engage. And we've got to support them. We've got to focus them. We've got to give them a, a, a pathway. We've got to help them. And Peter, you used an important word earlier, and I think it's, it's uh, as, and XPRIZE is so good at this, the focus around innovation. And I think it's important to kind of step back because we sometimes get caught up in our own language uh, around the environment, and we get to places where we trap ourselves intellectually, I think. But the basics are rather simple, and, and we all know it, and it's sometimes, I think, helpful just to go back and remind ourselves of the basics. So basic 101, the climate is changing. We ought to stop arguing about it. We know it's happening. We see it around the globe. We see the impacts around the globe, the impacts on people, the impacts on wildlife. We're losing species around the globe. We see the impacts on security when we have populations that are forced to move or to deal with not only rising ocean levels but loss of food stocks. We know this is happening around the globe, so we need to kind of move well past that and talk about the basics here. So it's largely about carbon. We got that. Hopefully we're not going to be arguing about that. And when we get to that point, we know we have to deal both with lowering our emissions. We've got to stop emitting. But we also have to start restoring. Restoring is a critical part of this equation. But we've got to do both. So there's a huge opportunity for innovation on both sides of this. The lowering of emissions, we are counting on technology. We're counting on innovation. 
and we're counting on business will, political will, to move us down this path. But with all of that, we need the innovations to underline our ability to do it in a way that makes sense economically. We have to solve that equation. It has to work economically. We've, we've got to work on the emissions side. So the innovators in the room who are, are dedicated to coming up with ideas to help us do the things we need to do collectively so that we're talking about humans here, so that humans can continue to thrive and grow, we need to solve that problem so we, we really dramatic, dramatically lower those emissions. But we also have got to deal with restoration. And, and one of the things I would just, I'd want to leave you with here is we have this amazing technology on restoration. It's called nature. <laughs> nature, it knows how to do this. It sucks carbon right out of the air. Better than anything we know how to do so far. And the degree that we can invest in nature and do it in a manner where we're getting the value, where we create the right economic conditions, the power of doing that is extraordinary. And coming at that innovatively is what CI has been focused on doing for a long period of time. Finding those solutions to both save the nature we have and to restore the nature that we've already degraded. The power of doing that, we estimate, is somewhere around 30% of the solution. So nature is 30% is a theme that we've been on, and it's not getting 30% of the funding, I can guarantee you that. 2% right? of the funding. It's around 2%. It's around 2%. So there's opportunity, huge opportunity. So we need to save what we have in terms of standing forests, tropical uh, forests, peat bogs, mangroves, seagrasses, the rainforest. All of the, all of the mechanisms that sequester carbon, but uh, incidentally, uh, mangroves sequester 10 times the amount of carbon mm -hmm. per unit, uh, a geographical unit, as, as do rainforests. So it's not just rainforests, but rainforests have been particularly, we've spent the last 30 years protecting areas uh, and, and trying to uh, save biodiversity, species, indigenous peoples, and, and this engine of, uh, of nature for dealing with climate. But we have not really created the economic success necessary to keep those areas protected. We don't value them properly. We don't have Correct. the right economic framework. And one of the things that, that, that CI, that I'm most proud of uh, in CI, has been our, uh, our, our, the energy we have devoted to conservation economics, mm -hmm. to establishing the, the, the true value of the, of the services of nature which come to us free from an intact and viable natural world. That is, fresh water, pollinators for our crops, uh, oxygen that, that we breathe. Oh, yes, that too. The very basics. And, and, and those things need to be valued and understood by the, by the nations that, that are lucky enough to have them in their midst. That, that these should be added to their GDP. Mm -hmm. These are assets mm -hmm. that they must not squander. Because once they're, they're gone, they you've take, lost your whole they investment. They take millions of years there. to get back. Yeah. <laughs> they don't come back. They're not going to come back. You can't get them back. But 
tropical forests will reforest themselves if they're not too, uh, if we can control the fires and we can control the greed and we can, we can defund some of the, of the financial mechanisms which are actually feeding deforestation. Call out those players who are, who re, who are funding deforestation. There are perverse subsidies yeah, for agriculture, for, for beef. There are investments in soy and, and, uh, and palm oil that, that are being propped up by governments. And, and this has got to stop. We have got to insist that, that we uh, not participate in those economic uh, instruments. This is a, a major innovation challenge. I know that, you know, and certainly Peter, you know, with our educational background, where we're, uh, we both suffered together for a number of years, we always think about, okay, what's the next cool technology thing that's going to solve the problem? Harrison's making an incredibly important point here. We need market innovations mm. that are going to change the economic equation so that we get value attached to things that actually we should be valuing and that the economics reflect that. And we've had to go through this a number of times over the course of history. And we've tried different ways of doing it. They not not uh, all of them work, some of them do. I think we're going to be having some experimentation in this regard around how we actually get the economics to align. It's part of what CI has been doing, as Harrison mentioned. We've been experimenting in different places, how you incentivize different types of outcomes. A lot of times it comes to how do you replace income? It's at that level. Mm. How do you replace income that would otherwise be available to a population through deforestation activities? And if we can figure that out, and we're doing it with some different models around the globe, I think we're going to have a lot bigger impact than if we just, just try and declare some macro solution. And so this is the feet in the mud part. One of, yeah, one of our big problems is we, we, we are... Uh, we're used to working from the top down. And, and oftentimes, our efficiencies are so poor that what the intention never gets to the baseline level. We've got to start, and Conservation International has always uh, uh, had their eye on those with their feet in the mud. That is not just, that's, that's the people who live in the places that we need to protect. That's the, the people who, who are closely tied to the natural world in which they live. Not everybody gets the environment. Not everyone is as, as tuned in uh, and passionate as you are. Were you always this way? What, when did, what was the moment in time you said, I, I need to change the way I think? Harrison, for you, what, what was that moment? It wasn't a moment of time. It's just a, it's a, it, it happened over a, a, a period uh, of, of time growing up. I, I grew up in a, in a city. And when I was lucky enough to be exposed to nature, I always felt, um, I felt quieter, happier. I felt, I felt a peace, and I was a, I was a terrible student in college, but uh, one of the things that I happily uh, ran across, I was a philosophy major, was uh, um, a statement by um, 
Paul Tillich, the Protestant theologian, describing the different ways we can um, think about God. He said, if you, have, if you have trouble with the world God, take what is central and most meaningful to your life and call that God. Like the force. <laughs> You're monetizing it Sorry, in, I couldn't a, help in, a, in a reckless way. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I only recently came to believe in the force and then they killed me. <laughs> so, they can bring you back. I always said, force yourself. <laughs> yeah, but you digress. Uh, but I digress. <laughs> And for me, who had a, a, a Jewish mother and a Catholic father and no religion, uh, I had a moral code, and it was, and it was the, and it, and it was the Democrat Party that 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 framed that. Uh, but uh, but that was lost to big business as well, hasn't? Well, I think. Let's not go there. I, I'm digressing. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but nature really is my God, the force of life, the mystery, the design, the, the, the intricacy of biodiversity. That is, that is the ineffable life force that sustains us. Mm. That's my God. Thank you. Uh, Wes, I, I've known you for 30-odd-plus years. Uh, I mean, incredible career uh, to the top of, of the biggest industries in, in America. Uh, uh, when did the environment and your passion and your commitment uh, enter your consciousness? You know, as Harrison said, we're all shaped in, a, in many ways by our youth. And I grew up in more rural environments. Yeah, I spent a lot of time in West Virginia as I was growing up and had a chance to observe uh, people in different contexts, both in the context of places where the environment was being treated well and cared for, and also in a number of places where it was not. And one of the things that struck me early in life was people were a lot happier in places where the environment was being cared for. It was just evident. And as I had a chance to um, you know, go off to college, see a little bit of a different uh, perspective uh, in a bigger city, and then get out and begin to work and work around the globe, that perspective stuck with me. And I began to really try and think about that connection of humans to their environment, the environment in which they, they live and operate. And I have to say, I, I have, those thoughts and, and those feelings were with me for a long time. It wasn't until I got connected with CI that they crystallized. And I began to really connect the, the human element of what we're doing with conservation. I've always thought of myself as a conservationist, but really connecting it to the human level was what made the difference for me and helped me began, begin to see this through a little bit of a different lens in terms of the things that we need to transform. And back to the, the earlier question about uh, CI, part of its value, part of its benefit, and I think part of its power is it brings all the stakeholders together. And one of the things that CI began doing some years ago was to actually work with big business. 
And I know there are a lot of folks in the conservation community who say, well, that's a mistake. Big business is part of the problem. Well, yeah, it is part of the problem. And when you're part of the problem, you can become part of the solution if you get aligned on the right type of thinking. And I give CI a lot of credit for working with many companies to not only help them shape their goals in terms of what they need to get done as enterprises to be more socially responsible, but actually to help educate employees and to get employee alignment on what the, around what their companies are doing. So for me, it's been a journey. I think it's a journey for all of us. But uh, I think uh, each person has something that uh, was formative, particularly in the early part of their lives, that tends to guide your thinking. So I just want to say, add yep. to what Wes is saying. Because I was there at CI when, when we began uh, almost 30 years ago. I've, I've been with them almost 30 years. And our, our willingness to partner with businesses that other um, conservation organizations disdained, extractive industries, uh, big businesses, uh, has really been um, a revelation. And, and society has changed at, this, at the same sure has. time. The, the customers of these big companies are now educated uh, and informed to the degree that they require yeah. the businesses that they patronize to live up to certain standards. The employees of these companies have also uh, been um, uh, inoculated mm -hmm. uh, and they want mm -hmm. their companies, they want to be proud of the, of the companies that they work for. Sure. I think those forces have had great influence on, on, on companies, big companies, sure. big business, and that will continue to oh, be the absolutely case. Will. The reality of business is yeah, you really do have to create the frameworks that enable you to think long term. If you're, if you're allowing yourself <clears throat> to get whipsawed you know, quarterly or annually, you will do the wrong things. And the other growing recognition across businesses, and it was something Harrison uh, said just a moment ago, and I'll put a fine point on it, and no one should, should uh, confuse this with, with just some, something that's temporary, it's long term. The most important capital in any company is the human capital. That's where you get the return on your investment. That's the capital that you need to make sure you're going to continue to grow, that you're going to develop, you're going to invest in. And the human capital that we all want today are folks who are incredibly smart and incredibly informed. And as Harrison said, they're on it. And they really don't want to work for an enterprise that they can't be proud of. And in their minds, being proud means that it's an enterprise that's doing the right things for our planet and doing the right things socially. So if you're on the board of a public company, demand that they in some way include the work that they're doing on sustainability into the management incentive system. It's a powerful thing. People do what they're incentivized to do. We did that at Northrop Grumman about a decade ago. We built it into the management incentive system. And it, it helps to get rid of the excuses. Uh, it's easy early on as you're starting the sustainability path in a company, and CI was critical for us. They helped us frame our, our path on sustainability. It's easy to come up with all the economic arguments as to why it doesn't make sense. Uh, in fact, I heard a lot of those economic arguments from shareholders. It was interesting. But when you've decided that you're going to do it, if it's really important, 
then it needs to be incentivized. And you need to have a way of actually measuring your progress, and you need to have accountability. And boards are really important for this. So I, I do have a lot of hope. I see the boards across corporate America moving along fairly quickly, not as quickly as we all would like, but fairly quickly and taking a much broader view of the role of the company and what the, the role of the board is in holding leaders and management accountable for outcomes. When we first started Conservation International, we were encouraging indigenous people to rather than make charcoal or cut standing forests, we encouraged them to collect tagua nuts, which is a palm nut. And then these palm nuts would be used to make buttons. And the Gap and Patagonia bought these buttons until they found out that they broke at the dry cleaners. But, but basically... You got to experiment. It's all about material science. But, but, the, but, the, but the initiating thought was, you have to give people an economic alternative right. to unsustainable practices, and they will come. So that continues to be a motivation. And, and indigenous people um, are the best stewards of, of, of the land they live on. They've lived close to nature. They lived lightly on the land. They know their natural world. They're not, uh, you know, uh, inured uh, uh, to it by, by civilization as we know it. They live in nature. They understand that they are a part of nature. We've got to understand that we're not above nature. We are part of nature. So anything we do to protect these, these standing tropical forests is critical to, the, to success in, in, in climate. So we can reforest. We can reinvest. We have to defund uh, those mechanisms that are producing uh, uh, deforestation. They are engaged. They are a political force now because they've come together around, they've recognized the power of, of their communities coalescing and, and finding a voice. And so when I was at uh, the, the United Nations, they, paid a, they played a very, indigenous people played a very important part in the conversation about climate. And we, we need to continue to support them with investments uh, uh, in um, reforestation, jobs, economic alternatives. Part of that is actually providing them some technology. We've had that experience. Let me just add, yeah, because I think please. for this crowd, it's yeah. important to hear. Sometimes when you hear indigenous peoples and, and the models that are in place, in your mind, you might think, well, just simply sustaining the model that they've had for a long time. Actually giving them the tools to create a new model is a powerful thing. And we're observing this in a number of the, the opportunities that we've created around the globe. Sometimes giving them geospatial tools so that they can actually observe the impacts of their actions helps them to change what they're doing. Sometimes giving them monitoring tools to protect fisheries turns out to be very, very powerful. So technology can play a big role in creating solutions 
in how you actually shift the economics. How would you, how would you guys feel about a de-extinction XPRIZE? You know, you know, you can say, here's 10 species, bring back any one of these and, and you win. quite a bit of supporting science that this is uh, yeah. potentially possible I'm, I'm, I'm pitching my favorite idea. But we gotta, we've got to preserve what we have now. Yes. We have to preserve natural, intact systems yes. because they are systems. Mm -hmm. And you can't just pull the things you think don't matter that much out of it without fully understanding the complexity of the arrangements. Yeah. I'm so thankful to have Wes and Harrison here. Uh, if you'd please help me in giving them a warm thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And as we think about how awesome and inspiring the future can be, you can also get yourself excited for the next episode of the Future Positive Podcast. We're going to hear from Star Trek cast members LeVar Burton and Marina Sirtis, along with executive producer Rod Roddenberry, son of Gene Roddenberry, creator of the series and initial visionary of this plentiful future. They're speaking with Peter Diamandis, XPRIZE chairman and founder and creator of over 20 companies, many that are specifically aimed at turning science fiction into science fact. Hi, I'm Anusha Ansari, astronaut and CEO of XPRIZE, a global future positive movement of over 1 million people and rising, tackling the world's grandest challenges in exploration, environment, and human equity. We'd love for you to join us. Check us out on your favorite socials and find out how you can support, sign up, or join a team at xprize.org. 